Turn with me to Colossians chapter 3. As Paul, as we continue to preach through this letter that Paul had written to the church in Colossae, these Colossian Christians were facing the danger of false teachers who were telling them that Christ was not enough. That in order to be saved, you must believe in Christ, but you must also be circumcised. You must also keep certain holy days. You must also observe the dietary laws. And Paul, as he often had to do, had to convince these Colossians that Christ is sufficient. That is the theme of the book of Colossians, that that Jesus is is sufficient. And in the first uh, two chapters and, and part of chapter three, Paul has uh, hammered this home to them, how they have been crucified with Christ, that when he died, they died. And how when he was risen from the dead, they were risen with him, if indeed they are in union with him by faith and belong to Christ. And the thing we need to understand is that If you have been crucified with Christ, if you have been raised with Christ and are in union with him by placing your faith and your trust in him as your Savior and Lord, then you will live a different life. There is no way around that. We will be different people because that is what he has come to do. And... uh, I want to read right quick from Matthew chapter 5, verse 29 and 30. Jesus said, But if your right eye makes you stumble, tear it out and throw it away from you. For it is better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand makes you stumble, cut it off and throw it from you. For it is better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Now, Paul... Here in this section of Colossians that we're going to look at is calling on the Colossians to to their sanctification, to be holy before God. And what we just read that Jesus said, of course, Jesus is not advocating literal self-mutilation. But he's speaking of the seriousness of sin and its effects and consequences. And it calls for drastic action in the way that we deal with it. You've heard me often say that I believe that one of the main problems with many churches today is that we don't know who God is anymore. But I think along with that, I think we have lost sight of what sin is anymore and how destructive it is. Today, we, we, we have softened sin. You know, the Bible talks about drunks. We call them alcoholics because that sounds better. The Bible talks about whores. We call them ladies of the night because that sounds better. The Bible talks about adultery and fornication, but we call it having affairs because that sounds better. We have softened sin, and, and we, we, we must understand that there comes a point as a believer in Christ when I see my sin, okay, and I see it as it is, and I am appalled by it. 
And, and I become more and more each day. John Owen said that we must be killing sin or sin will be killing us. All right. So Paul here, uh, this is exactly what Paul is saying as he develops his teaching on what it means for Christians to have been to have died with Christ and to have been risen together with him and to be in union with him. Paul is talking about sanctification or what it means to be made holy in God's sight. By the way, several times in the Bible we are commanded by God, be holy because I'm holy. Being holy in the Christian life is not an option. Hebrews 10 uh, says that we are to pursue peace with everyone and to seek sanctification or holiness, because without it, no one will see the Lord. We are not, uh, we are not uh, given this option to be holy. We are commanded to be holy. But many today who call themselves Christians, they embrace a lifestyle that is almost indistinguishable from the world. To be made holy means to be set apart. And that's what we as the church are to be. We are to be holy. We are to be set apart. But when our lives characterize things that the world looks at us and says, hey, you're just like us. Something's wrong. And I want to tell you, folks, as a believer, as, church, as a church, we must examine ourselves. If there is anything in my life that the world applauds, that the world can commends, then there's something wrong. I must reevaluate my walk with Christ because the closer you walk with him, the more that we hate our sin, the more that we put away our sin, the more the world will hate us. And this is just a fact. But the idea of being set apart from the world is, uh, is what lies at the very heart of what the Bible says about holiness. And Paul is calling these Colossian Christians and us to take drastic action in the way they deal with their sin. <clears throat> I'm going to skip to the end right quick for a minute, and I'll come back. Here's what Paul is saying. You're a Christian. Act like it. That's all he's saying. You are a follower of Christ. Act like it. Okay, now we'll go back and I'll get to where we get to that. All right? Look at verse uh, 5 in chapter 3. Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which is idolatry. <clears throat> On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience. And in them you once, you also once walked when you were living in them. But now you also lay them aside. Wrath, anger, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, <clears throat> since you put off the old man with its evil practices, and have put on the new man who is being renewed to a full knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. A renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, and free man, but Christ is all in all. Paul is not suggesting here that, that we clean up our lives so that we can be accepted by God. 
Cleaning up my life will not commend me to God. That is not at all what Paul is saying. What Paul is saying is because you already belong to God. This is how you should live. This is how you should be. And he's saying that those who already belong to God are able to respond to what God calls for us to do. And sin is not something about which we can be indifferent. Just imagine a person goes to the doctor and they tell the doctor says you have stage four cancer and they say, okay, doc. And the, and the man goes home and his wife says, what did the doctor say? Ah, he said, it's no big deal. I'm just going to be a little sick. And he goes on and he just ignores. And the doctor says, look, if you want to survive this, you must do this, this and this. And he says, you know what? I'm just not worried about it. No big deal. Would you do that if you had cancer? Would you just say, ah, you know what, I'm not going to worry about it. It's no big deal. No, none of us would do that. But yet we, we need to understand that, that uh, neither can a Christian or a church be indifferent to the destructive power of sin. Listen, I cannot, okay, I know that, that I have, I won't call it a bad reputation. I have been accused of preaching too much about sin. Now, I don't know how that's possible, but guess what? I'm going to continue. <laughs> Let me tell you something, folks. We must understand how destructive. I have seen how sin can destroy a person's life. I have seen how unconfessed and, and ignored sin can destroy a church. I have personally seen this. And we must understand. Do you want me to tell you how bad sin is? I can tell you what, how bad sin is with one word, well, let's say two words. The cross. The cross. That God sent His only Son, and He was crucified on a Roman cross because of sin. That's how bad God is. That's how uh, God sees sin. But we must deal specifically with specific sins. Paul notes here two types of sins in verse 5 and 8. He says, therefore, consider your members of your, uh, your earthly body as dead to sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, greed, which is idolatry. Here, Paul is talking about what we would call secret sins. Those sins that take place where nobody can see but me. Well, where I think nobody can see but me. By the way, do you realize there's always one more person present? Always one more. These are sins that are committed away from public view or sins that reside in the heart and the mind. You remember Jesus said, if you look upon a woman to lust after her in your heart, you've committed adultery. He said, if you have hatred towards your brother, you've committed murder. You know what I'm saying? People say, well, and, and this is what the Pharisees said to Jesus. They said, well, we've never done any of these things. And that's when he says, if you've done it in your heart, then you've done it. Period. And we've all done these. And, and Paul here is talking about, you know, uh, that word sexual immorality. You know, there are many different behaviors that fall under sexual immorality. There is adultery, there is fornication, there is homosexuality. All these sins fall under this heading of uh, sexual immorality. <clears throat> and these sins, you know, 
when, when I was preparing this, I thought, you know, these are sins that mostly take place behind closed doors. But, you know, that's not true anymore. You know, Adrian Rogers used to say the sin that used to sneak down our back alleys now parades down Main Street. And you know what it does while it parades down Main Street or what we do? We wave at it. In the name of love and tolerance. And I want to tell you, it grieves the heart of God. But these are the things Paul says, look, as a believer, these things should not be who you are. Uh, we, we, what we do in private, we need to understand, is not hidden from God. Look at verse 6. On occasion of these things, or on account of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience. That's what Paul says in Romans chapter 1. You know, Paul says that in Romans... Let me turn over here and read this right quick. I'm not going to read the whole book of Romans, I promise. But Romans chapter 1... <clears throat> In verse 18, he says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and righteousness. And then he goes on to describe who these people are. These who, have, 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 who are ungodly and how the, the, these who are the sons of disobedience. And Paul says that the wrath of God, he says it in Romans, he says it in here in Colossians, he says the wrath of God will come upon these who are unrepentant about their sin. Then Paul mentions there in verse 8, our public sins. He says, but now you also lay them all aside, wrath, anger, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. These are sins that affect our relationship with other people. You see that? The first set of relationship, you know, the, the, the Bible says that, that sexual sin is a sin against my own body. And so what Paul says there first in, in chapter, in verse 5, is talking about those sins that I commit against my own body. And then he's talking about there in chapter, in verse 8, about the sins that I commit against you. Wrath, anger, malice, slander, abusive speech from your mouth. Uh, notice in verse 9, though, he says, And do not lie to one another, since you put off the old man with its evil practices. Notice that lying is set apart by itself. It's not grouped with these others. Paul gives it a special place because trust and transparency are essential in a relationship. They're essential in the relationship that I have with my wife. They're essential with the relationship that you and I as, as believers in Christ have with one another. And, and Paul says, do not lie to one another. Everything that Paul is saying here points to our need as Christians to not only be conscious of the many ways that we sin against God, but to be <clears throat> deliberate to be ruthless in the way that we deal with these sins. Remember what Jesus said? If your right eye sins, pluck it out. Now Jesus is not advocating literal, physical mutilation. But he's talking about the severity of our sin and, and, and how important it is to us. 
we are told in verse 10, he says, and have put on the new man. You know what? Go back to verse, uh, let's see here, verse 8 again. He says, but now you all lay them aside. All these sexual sins, all these lying, all this anger, all this wrath, all this malice. Paul says, put it, put it away. Just lay it aside. And then in verse 10, he says, and have put on the new man. Do you know who the new man is? 2 Corinthians 5, 17. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away and all things have become new. And Paul says, put on the new man who is being renewed to a full knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. Paul tells us in Romans chapter 8 that we, are be, we, we have been predestined to be conformed to the image of himself, his son. So we are told there in verse 10 to put on that new man. And notice in verse 7, because, you know, it's important we understand who Paul's talking to here. He's talking to believers. But notice verse 7. <clears throat> now, he, he talks about these, all these sins. And in verse 7, he says, and in them you once walked when you were living in them. Okay. Paul says this is who you used to be. It's not who you are now. Be who you are in Christ, not who you used to be. You show me a person that says, I have come to Christ, I have repented of my sin, and I have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, but I sure miss my old life. I'm going to show you a man that's a liar. You, you cannot look at sin and, and stand in the face of the Savior and look at your sin the same way. Look at your old life, the dead man you were. How many people do you know, do you think that when Jesus walked up to that tomb and said, Lazarus, come forth, that Lazarus came out and said, really, why'd you do this? I enjoyed being dead. Did that what he did? No. Nobody who's been dead, who's been brought to life has ever said, I enjoyed being dead better. But we sometimes act like that's who we are, like we are still dead men. We all sin, but we must understand that if any of these sins characterizes who I am. You know, I, I had an uncle one time <laughs> that uh, he was standing outside talking to somebody, and I was standing with my dad inside the house. And, and, and my uncle was being very animated out there. And I said, what do you think he's saying? And he said, I don't know, but he's lying. I said, well, how do you know he's lying? He said, because his mouth's moving. And he was known for that. He was known that, that, that you couldn't believe anything he said. Is that how believers should be? No. We should not be this way. If we have been crucified with Christ, if we have been raised with Christ, then we are in union with Christ and we live to please Him and not ourselves. And those who consistently live in sin, those who ignore their sin, those who excuse their sin, gives us cause, uh, ample cause to question the validity of their faith. 
You see, this is a this is a cardinal sin in today's church is that I am never to judge whether someone is saved or not. By the way, the Bible gives me every right to do that. Not only does it give me the right to do that, it gives me the obligation to do that. It gives you the obligation to do that. You should look at my life and say, you know, that that preacher, I've seen some of the things he's done. I've heard some of the things he's said, and I'm not sure he's saved. You have the right to do that. I have the right to do that. And, and Paul here is saying, look, it, it all comes down to this. You are a new creation in Christ. Act like it. You are not that old person anymore. You are not that dead man anymore. You are not that person who abides under the wrath of God anymore. So quit acting like you are. Why would we want to go back to where we used to be? And as we said earlier, to truly see God's perspective on sin, we need only look at the cross. You know, <clears throat> if, if you have ever seen the movie, The Passion of the Christ. That is a, a very, very difficult movie to watch. But I want to tell you something. I don't think it even comes close to what Jesus truly endured on the cross. You know, I remember the first time we went to, there was a, the, a movie theater in Richardson, Texas, and a free screening of that movie to churches, and we went to see it. And I remember at the crucifixion scene, there were people getting up and running out of the theater, bawling, crying. And I thought to myself, what if we could see that as it really is? But here's the thing. We... We look at the cross. We see our Savior with the crown of thorns and the blood pouring down His face. We see Him hanging there in shame, naked, in agony for six hours. And how many times do we look at that and say, My sin did that. We look at that and we say, oh, what a shame that happened to him. No, it's not. Do you realize that was the plan all along? But do we understand it's our sin that did that? And, and, and Paul here is saying, look, you, I have already spent time telling you, trust in Christ alone. He's the only one that can save you. He's the only one that can do what needs to be done. <laughs> but once you understand who you are and where you are in Christ, don't live like that anymore. Don't live like this. Verses 12 through 17, he says, So, as the elect of God, see, he's talking to believers, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, Put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bearing with one another, graciously forgiving each other. 
Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord graciously forgave you, so also should you. Above all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly with all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with gratefulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Now, here's what Paul has said. Paul has said as a, as a new creation in Christ. Here are the things you must stop doing. And now he says, here are the things you should be doing. Not only did the, is there the negative aspect of, of what is evident in my life as a Christian, but there's also the positive aspect of it. Paul says, don't let these things be part of your life, but make sure these things are. But here's the thing. You see, all the things that Paul talks about there in verses 5 and verses 8, I have no problem doing. I don't need anybody's help. I can commit any one of those sins or all of those sins every day of my life. Did you know that? By the way, so can you. But these other things that Paul talks about, compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, love, forgiveness, I can't do that stuff. I can't do those on my own. I must have someone to help me. And that someone is the Holy Spirit. And as the Holy Spirit does His work in the lives of His people, His concern is to transform us into new creation. Not just personally, but together as a family. And He is transforming us into something that is truly set apart. That when people look at my life, who are outside the faith, outside the church, they shouldn't like what they see. Because you see, Jesus, everywhere he went, the self-righteous hated him. And we live in a world full of self-righteous people. We live in a world where people say, I can do what I want to do, when I want to do it, and how I want to do it, and it's none of your business. And that's just not true. By the way, did you know that what I do in my private life is your business? Because it affects you. You know, if when Cindy and I are at home, if I'm verbally abusive to her, or physically abusive to her, or, or treat her, you know, anything less than who she is as my wife, that will affect this whole church. Did you know that? By the way, you too. You know, those sins that, that take place behind closed doors in our homes when we're sitting at the computer, you know the Lord's looking over your shoulder. When you're sitting there on your phone, did you know what you do in the privacy of your own life affects me as a fellow believer in Christ? Because we are a family in Christ and, and we are the church and he is transforming us into something that is truly set apart. You know, one of the Puritans, I think it was J.C. Ryle, he one time says what a man is on his knees in private with God is what he is and nothing else. 
What are you? Who are you in the privacy of your own home? Are you the same person you are sitting in that pew? Now, as I said, please don't misunderstand me. We all sin every day. But when we sin, it should drive us to our knees in confession and repentance before our God. I shouldn't be saying, well, you know, I deserve this or I, I can do what I want to and make excuses for it. We cannot do this. And the Holy Spirit who lives in us, if he truly lives in us, will not allow us to do this. You know, see there in verses five and eight, Paul talks about what we are to put off or put aside. But here in verses 12 and 14, he tells us what we are to put on. He says, get rid of these things and become these things. Put on these things. They are yours. The sins mentioned earlier are the sins that divide and destroy us. <clears throat> but the sins that he mentions in the latter part of this passage are those that will encourage us, those that build one another up. That's what we're called to do. I heard a preacher, he said that every single church member is either a builder-upper or a tear-downer. You're one of those two. You cannot be both. And our pursuit of holiness, our pursuit of sanctification can only truly happen as it grows out of our new life in fellowship with Christ. Notice what he said there at the end of verse uh, 11. But Christ is all and in all. Listen, Christ. Paul has 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 directed these Colossians away from themselves, away from their actions, away from their self-righteousness, away from their rituals and their religion, and has pointed them to Christ. And that has not changed. Paul is saying here, look, now you are a new creation. You are a new man or new woman in Christ. But don't ever forget that you are a new man or a new woman in Christ. He is still the focus. He is still the center of all of this. And only as we are in Christ, as we are in union with him, are we the elect, are we uh, loved, and are we holy. Only as we are found in Christ. Paul talks about the God in whose image we have been made, and this God is a... A holy trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And all three are, are essential in our salvation. But as the trinity exists, Paul says, in eternal relationship, it then follows that those of us who bear his image are going to do the same. <clears throat> Did you know the Father loves the Son? The Son loves the Father. They are eternally United, they, they are eternally equal, co-equal as members of the Trinity. The Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, there, there is never anything that divides them. There's never anything that, 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 that uh, puts them at each other. And Paul is saying, so you should be exactly the same. Because we are made in the image. We are made in the image of God. And Paul tells us here, as, as we grow in faith and holiness, and all of these behaviors and all of these attitudes uh, have to do with renewing our relationships for one another. You see, here's what sin does. Sin has a focus. 
And when I live a life of sin, and I'm living in sin, and by the way, there's a difference between sinning and living in sin, okay? But the focus of my life becomes me. It becomes me. It's about what I want. It's about what I think. And what you think or matter or what God uh, thinks or says doesn't matter. That's what sin does. Sin makes me look at myself. Think about Adam. When he was there in the garden, he and Eve, they were naked. Nobody cared. They thought nothing of it. They walked with God daily. But what was one of the first things they noticed after the fall? That they were naked. You see, now no longer was their focus on God. Now they begin to look at themselves. And that's what sin does. You know, we call it the total depravity of man. Not that man is as bad as he can be, but that we are bad to the very core of who we are. Did you know that there is not one aspect of our life that is not tainted with sin? The most eloquent prayer you will ever hear is tainted with sin. The most wonderful sermon you ever hear is tainted with sin. And Paul here, he is saying, look, just as sin characterized everything in your life before Christ, so now holiness should characterize everything in your life with Christ. See how that works? Everything in our life is to be lived out in our life in union with Christ. We are to live out our lives with a conscious awareness of being in Him in every conceivable sense of the word. Notice three times there in verses 15 through 17, Paul urges us to act with thankfulness in our hearts. Uh, look at verse <clears throat> 15, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful. Verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with gratefulness in your hearts toward God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. When we understand, Paul says, who we are in Christ, where we stand with Christ, then it should fill our hearts with eternal gratefulness. Let me ask you something. Are you saved? Can you tell me right here, right now, that you know that your sin has been put away by God? Do you remember who you were before that? I want to tell you, I do. And I'm glad he's dead. And I hope he stays that way. Which, by the way, he will. Do you remember who you were? Do you remember the sin that characterized your life before Christ? Do you remember what it was like to be one of the living dead? When your life had no meaning, your life had no purpose. When you were the sole focus of your life. Do you remember that? I do. I don't like it. I don't want to go back there. Paul says, while we were dead in our trespasses and sins, he made us alive in Christ. 
Now, I think we talked about this some last week. <laughs> I was dead. He raised me. You know what part I played? That's right. When he said, Lazarus, come forth, I just simply got up and walked out. When he said, Bobby, come forth, I just simply walked out. You know, it's an interesting thing. If you, if you read the account, I, I got a sermon I'm going to preach about this sometime, about the resurrection of Lazarus. You know, when Jesus called him out, <clears throat> and by the way, do you know Jesus, we have three instances of him raising somebody from the dead. One of them was only dead a few hours. One of them had just died, and one was dead, Lazarus, four days. Now, which one was the most dead? Anybody know? All of them. Dead is dead. There are no degrees of deadness. You know, I remember when my daughter <clears throat> got pregnant with our first grandson. She called me. She lived in Florida at the time. She said, Dad, I'm a little pregnant. And I said, no, you're not. <laughs> you don't get a little pregnant. You're either pregnant or you're not. Well, listen, you're either dead or you're not. And, and, and when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, and in that story, that narrative of Lazarus, Lazarus, when Jesus raised him, he said, Lazarus, come forth, says he cried with a loud voice. And by the way, you do understand the fact that he called him by name, right? Or else every grave within the sound of his voice would have burst open. But Lazarus comes, and you know, back in those days when they buried you, they wrapped you up kind of like a mummy. So here comes old Lazarus out there, you know, all after. You know what Jesus said? He said, loose him and set him free. Do you know he still says that to us? That's what Paul's talking about right here. Paul says, put aside those grave clothes. You know, they, they, they removed the grave clothes from Lazarus and they gave him clothes, new clothes to put on. And, and Paul is saying, look, he has called you. You have been raised with Christ. You're no longer dead. You're no longer dead to the things of God. Now put away your grave clothes and put on the new clothes that he has given you. And when we understand that, that this is where we were and this is where we are now. And you know why I'm here now? You know why I'm where I am? Because of Christ. That's it. But there's more. You know, what's that ShamWow guy? Wait, there's more. He ever lives to make intercession for me, Paul says, or the writer of the Hebrews does. You see, Jesus didn't just save me and then say, okay, see you when you get to heaven. No, he's actively at work in my life and your life in the person of the Holy Spirit. And he's moving in us and he's, he's, he's conforming us to the image of himself. That we could be like Christ. That's an ongoing process. That's the sanctification process. That's the process of being made holy. That process takes place from the moment you believe in Christ to the moment you stand in His presence. So see, it's not just what He's done, but it's what He continues to do. Now, <clears throat> I ask you, if Jesus were to walk in here right now, how many of you would want to look at Him and say, Lord, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for keeping me saved. Thank you for the promise that one day I will be conformed to your image. Sin will be gone. 
You know, the Bible speaks of how, how our, our sin is in three tenses. Our salvation is in three tenses. I have been saved, I am being saved, and I will be saved. I have been saved from the penalty of my sin. I am being saved from the power of sin. And one day I'll be saved from the very presence of sin. And I'll be glorified just like he is. Those whom he justified, he also glorified. And that's what he's going to do. And this is what Paul is saying. He's saying, look, you're a new creation in Christ. Act like it. Live like it. We should no longer live like the world. We should no longer be the person we were before Christ. Christian, be who you are in Christ, not who you used to be without him. And if you truly know and understand what he's done and what he continues to do, not only will you say thank you, but you will live a life of thankfulness. You will live a life of gratitude to him every single day. I, I, I love what Vody Bauckham says. He says, do you realize the mercy of God has shown you because his wrath should have killed you last night in your sleep. You realize if God just decided to wipe every person off the face of the earth and send every single one of us to hell, he would be perfectly justified in doing that. But he didn't. He chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. Puritan Willie Ames gives us what are the true signs of true sanctification. He says, number one, a transformation of all the powers and faculties of the whole man. In other words, when Jesus saved me, he didn't save part of me. He didn't save me part way. He saved me totally and completely in an instant. And he saved everything I am. And every part of my life should show that. Number two, a respect to all the commandments of God. Jesus said, if you love me, obey me. If you love me, obey me. Number three, a constant care to avoid all sin. To avoid all sin. You know... It's, it's a very convicting thing, you know. When, when, I, when, when I feel led by God to preach a particular book or passage or whatever, I learned a long time ago that the first person that that sermon gets preached to is me. And I also learned a long time ago that I better listen. <laughs> So I want to tell you that this one kind of convicted me. Okay, this one really convicted me. When he says here, a constant care to avoid all sin. The movies I watch, the TV shows I watch, the music I listen to. We think, oh, well, those are, sin those are innocent things. No, they're not. You remember we talked about last week that when Satan attacks, he attacks the mind. Through the eye gate, through the ear gate. And the things we watch, the, 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 the things we read, 
You know, I, I can't figure out whether Facebook is demonic or one of the greatest things God ever gave us. Okay, I'm just joking, you know, it's, it is demonic. <laughs> but you know what? One of the things about being sanctified, about being made holy, I won't love my sin anymore. You know, I remember when I was a kid going to church and, you know, one of my cousins, the two of us were sitting back on the back pew and that preacher was, you know, Pentecostal preacher and he was preaching and banging his fist and he said, you young people listen to me, sin is not fun. And I looked at my cousin and said, he ain't sinning like we are. He wouldn't have said that. But you know, when God saved you, he didn't make it where we couldn't sin, but he did take all the fun out of it. And if you don't find it appalling when you sin, then there's a problem. So one of the sure signs of true sanctifications is there will be a constant care to avoid all sin. And there will be a walking before God. You know, this, this right here, this is the thing right here that, that convicted me more than anything. Is to know that no matter where I am, whether no matter what I'm doing, I am living my life in full view of the presence of my Father. Whether I'm having a conversation with her or one of you, whether I'm mowing my yard, whether I'm on my computer or on my TV or on my phone or just thinking the thoughts in my head. And you realize that the thoughts in my head are screamed loud and clear in heaven before God. Did you know that a secret scandal or a secret sin on earth is an open scandal before God? Walking before God and living my life in accordance with that. And there will be a combat between the flesh and the spirit. Paul tells us in Romans, he says, or in Galatians, that the, the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit lusts against the flesh. There is a constant battle that goes on between me. Do you struggle with sin? Do you? Do you know it's a good thing? If there is no struggle, that's the problem. But one of the sure signs that we are being uh, made holy and being made like God and tr have true sanctification is taking place is there will be a battle between my flesh and my spirit. When my flesh says, I want this, and the spirit says, no, we must obey God. And it's constant. By the way, it will never go away as long as we're in this body. Never, ever. It will never get any better. But I have found and I truly believe that the more vile and sinful you see yourself is a good indication of the process of holiness going on in your life. Because the holier a man becomes, the more his sin will be evident and the more he will hate it and despise it. Do you hate your sin? Do you despise your sin? Are you appalled at some of the things you do? Do you ever do something, commit some sin, and look at God and say, you know what, why don't you just kill me? You know, I, I've been there. There was a time in my life when I said, God, why? I don't understand why you don't just kill me. But he didn't. He didn't. But do we ever get to where we see our sin that way? And Paul says uh, in verse 12, so as the elect of God. 
those who belong to God. These are how you should live. You should show compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with one another, graciously forgiving each other. Verse 14, above all these things, put on love. Jesus told his disciples, by this will all men know you're my disciples. When you have love one for another. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning. We thank you that Jesus has done everything, Father, that is necessary. That he has paid the price for our sin. And Father, we thank you for the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. The sanctification process. Father, help us to see our sin the way you see it. And Father, this morning as we gather together at your table, I pray, O oh God, that we would search our hearts. Father, that we would make sure that our hearts are clean and pure before you. There's no unconfessed sin in our life. And Father, that we might remember the body and the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, the awful price that he's paid for us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.